Vasily Petrenko, you are in the process of recording all the Shostakovich symphonies, which is a huge project. Um, what's been your relationship with the symphonies, and why do you think they are such an important and unique achievement for our times? Well, I think that, first of all, they've been in my life since I remember me. <laughs> they've been played in St. Petersburg and regularly, and every year. Even funny enough, they still being appreciated, most of them, as a contemporary music in Russia. And of course the top hits like the 5th, 7th, 8th or 10th, they are well received and well attended. But when you put something less usual like 12 or 11 or 4... Really? In Russia? Yeah. Uh, might scare the audience a little what? bit. What? So I can remember his music since the very beginning and to be honest, it's the spirit of Leningrad. It's true spirit of Leningrad. But it's also a chronicle, isn't it, of Soviet life? That that extraordinary. If talking about the historical context, I'm staying actually on a position about a bit more broad picture about his symphonies, because usually on the West is a lot of attention to the political side of of it. While in Soviet Union and in Russia, it's been absolutely opposite. The most attention has been about structural side and about the musical side, neglecting the political because it's been not allowed for many, many years. I think, first of all, it's a picture of his life. The whole cycle, in my point of view, is a huge biopic about the life of an artist in the 20th century under the Soviet Union regime. And not only reflecting the political side or historical side, reflecting his own life as well. Family life, um, relations with other composers, relations with the music society, his relations with some great musicians like Slava Rostropovich, for instance. It's a history of the life of an artist. Now, for 25 years, the Fourth Symphony um, rather like many victims of Stalin's purges, disappeared. I mean, it disappeared. Only the composer and a few of his friends and colleagues actually knew what was in the score. Um, why did the planned first performance never take place? Well, because of the pressure by then, of course. And uh, because of the pressure not only on him, after this Katerina Ismailova statements, Actually, about the Katerina Ismailova, it wasn't clear by one rumours, I would say one part of rumours, it's a Stalin who came to the first act and then left angry and initiated... Yes. The and then campaign. this mysterious statement appeared yeah. in Pravda, didn't it? This, yeah. was, this was his opera, Lady Macbeth of Matsenska, which is a staggering piece, I think. Wonderful piece. Uh, that's one version of it. Mm. Another version that Stalin been extremely jealous simply because the Shostakovich has been recognized on the West and on the East. And he would like to keep a pressure on him just to not give him ability to escape. Mm. From the third point of view, and the third version is that his rival composers came to person who had been close to Stalin, to his secretary, and given a letter on which Shostakovich accused Stalin and all the regime. So nobody knows, in fact, what was the truth. Mm. But it's been a very difficult time for him. Mm. And the fourth symphony, uh, 
which he actually declared as the only piece in his life which he had written. So for him it's been a huge meeting. He also later on said he accused, he said the score suffered from grandioso mania, which was another comment. I think he was being a bit hard on it. I think it's an extraordinarily ambitious, perhaps not always accomplished, but... Um, I think it's a great extraordinary piece. piece. It's it's extraordinary, great piece, but technical, technical achievements, amazing. Not only in terms of orchestration, but form-wise, it crystals his, I would say, sonata form, which is a special Shostakovich thing. When quite often the second subject is much more powerful than the first subject, and when the medium material between the subjects much more often have development in the middle section mm-hmm. and bigger development rather than the subject itself. Mm-hmm. When it's a tonal plan, it's entirely different. So in Shostakovich things quite often there are no contradictory in tonals between the first and second subject. The, it, it's well linked to the mother. Yes. There's a lot of mother in this piece. Of sonata form, of course. And a lot of other other stuff in Shostakovich heritage. in the first movement particularly which is much shortened and is kind of compressed which also becomes to be characteristic in most of his symphonies later on and that's the proportions of the side movements they're which, huge aren't which, they? they're like which, fantasias almost which are huge and which also in if you look into his symphonies I mean ninth is shorter but all remaining have a huge first movements usually, which gives a huge statement. So, regarding development of material, regarding uh, tunnel plans, it's a huge achievement. And also regarding uh, this mental, mental exhaustion by the end, which you came to by the end of the symphony. It is the pure Shostakovich. That's the symphony which defined that he found his language. It, it has been improved through the years afterwards, of yeah. course. But that's, I think, that's the first. In fact, that's the first symphony on which you can clearly say that's Shostakovich himself. Hmm. It's not tradition of Russian school as in the first. It's not modernism. 
mm. answer the second or third, that's Shostakovich. There is in this huge first movement, um, I always think of Mahler 3 when I hear the opening because of the, the big march tune. It's that, 3, that it's 7, yeah. and it's 6th Mahler. Yeah. Because of the tragic march, which just go the, opposite, the other way around, which yeah. starts from this demolition and then it's gradually go to nowhere. And uh, of course, a lot of Mahler in it. And I would say the sense of tragedy from 6th, from 7th, from 9th as well, a lot of 9th. And shocks too. Um, some of the development's quite unorthodox in the first movement. That, what about that fugue? Oh, yeah, yeah. amazing yeah. fugue in the strings, which, which kind of almost self-destructs at the end. It's extremely difficult as well <laughs> to play it, just <laughs> to record it. back to Mahler, um, the irony and parody in, in, in the finale of the fourth, this weird fairground music, this, these, these, these extraordinary things which preempt tragedy in a strange sort of way, that they have their own grotesqueness. Um, he really connected with that and I, 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 he used irony all the time, like Mahler yeah. did, as a means of conveying um, a very tortured kind of internal feeling. How would you describe, because the, the finale of this piece really goes through several phases until we arrive at this it's great, I don't think since Six the, phases. Yeah, I mean, it's extraordinarily complex. And then it ends, I mean, the Tchaikovsky Pathetique was, you know, it's a, it's a great tragic symphony, which ends with a, with a tragic adagio. But I think the, the Shostakovich four comes pretty close in terms of that kind of... I think of, it's been in his mind. Uh, I'm not sure that that's been his own picture, like he's gonna die in the next couple of weeks. But he just tried to bring uh, the tragedy of the people. And let's remember when it has been written, 1935, just the beginning of this cruise all around. And that's been the first year when the third's been introduced. Yeah. Do you know about this? You know, the, the, the Justice Thirds. By the decision of the Trinity, there have been a Trinities exist by the Stalin and the Communists. By the decision of the tri Trinity, of judges, 
has been possible to basically kill any people mm. as a spy, for instance, or as a nation enemy. And there's been plenty of people already sent to the camps and already demolished from the life. And that's, I think, feeling of the tragedy of going nowhere. The final climax of the piece is is like um, it, it's like music trying to be triumphant, but it's it's like raising a tattered flag, the the Soviet flag, bloodied and tattered. Um, it's trying to be triumphant, but it's failing hopelessly and being over that ostinato of timpani. You know, it's extraordinary. It's, it's all broken. Yes, it's all broken. It's broken like uh, actually, I th I think that one of the one of the critics say that it's like someone trying to raise up the flag with a broken hands. thing we must mention is that at the end of the scherzo, that weird percussion, ticking percussion mm -hmm. effect, uh, why did that stay with him all his composing life? Because it did, I mean it reappeared in the second cello concerto and at the end of the 15th symphony. Why do you think it did? Was it just an idea that he th it kept coming back to him or was there a reason? Uh, I would say that's an idea of non-emotional music. It's actually very powerful in Shostakovich music. What what is really powerful that sometime you have absolutely burned mind when you don't have any emotion left in your brain. Nothing, none. Mm. It's neither tragic, neither calm, neither optimistic. They're just none, mm. and that what creates huge effect when it's in a certain point after the huge climax of scherzo, for instance. 
at this burst of energy all around and then it goes to this sudden moment when you don't have anything it's nothing left it's absolutely empty landscape it's a little bit of matrix when you're just in wide surrounding and it's nothing nothing on top nothing on bottom nothing around you so uh, that's I think one of the images